What is up, freaks? It's your boy, Marty Bent, here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. I had a great pleasure. This was an incredible conversation. I sat down with Justin Redzvani, founder of the Zion app, building something very unique and very cool on the Lightning Network. Heady conversation. Starts out pretty intense. Justin's been through a very interesting journey. I'm, I'm happy to have him building on Bitcoin. This rip was brought to you by our good friends at the motherfucking Cash App. Cash App tell you stack sats, send sats, receive sats, sell sats. They make it very easy. You can DCA in the sats. Cash App can be your bank account. They're adding new, unique ways to send sats. That's all I can say right now. They have their boost program. They have their debit card. I use it every day. I'm telling you, the tap... The tap, the NFC tap, such a good UX. If you haven't downloaded the Catch app yet, yet, make sure you do so using the code StackingSats. It's S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. You're going to get $10, and $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. Owls Lacrosse. This trip is also brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. Unchained is here to help you eliminate single points of failure in your custody model. And the way they do that is with their collaborative custody vaults. In which you hold two keys, Unchained holds one, it's a two or three multi-sig. You always have full control of your Bitcoin as long as you have those two keys. Uh, but if you're ever in a pinch and you need Unchained to be there, uh, to be the second in the two or three multi-sig quorum, they are there for you. They have a white glove concierge service that's going to take you from zero to having a vault set up with a thousand cuck bucks worth of sats in it. <clears throat> They're going to have multiple video conference calls with you. They're going to get you comfortable with multi-sig. They're going to get you comfortable with their vault. They're going to send you hardware wallets. They're going to set you up. Uh... With your Volt, after you have those hardware wallets set up, they're going to get you very comfortable with everything. They're going to hold your hand through it. And then again, once your Volt is set up, you're going to dump a thousand cuck bucks worth of sats in it. If you tell them that TFTC sent, you're going to get $50 off that package. Excuse me, I got a burp. Sorry, that was rude. Um, again, this is to eliminate single points of failure. If you have your coins on an exchange, that is a single point of failure. You should think about getting them off the exchange. Uh, and if you don't feel comfortable securing them all by yourself, Unchained is here with this collaborative custody model. Um, they also have IRA services. They're, they're offering uh, private banking services as well. Unchained is a partner. They're not an app. They're not a platform. That is just humanless. They want to make sure that they're building deep relationships with their customers. I know personally, I use them, and I have experienced it myself. So go check all this out at Unchained.com. Go read their blog, too. This trip was brought to, also brought to you by our good friends at Compass Mining. Compass Mining is here to get more individuals into mining. All right, uh, The way they do this is you go to CompassMining.io. <clears throat> you can purchase an ASIC. You can purchase an ASIC, uh, and you can do many things with it. You can have it sent home. Uh, to, to mine by yourself at home. They have an at-home mining team, a support team that is there to walk you through uh, how to set everything up from the electrical infrastructure, how to connect your uh, ASIC, how to point it at a uh, pool, uh, and then they're going to be there to hold your hand as well uh, while you're setting that up. If you don't want to do that, they have hosting facilities too with uh, competitive electricity rates. Uh, I hear you freaks out there. Apparently, uh, some of the hosting facilities have not uh, been spun up as quickly as Compass would have liked. That option is there. Uh, know the trade-offs that exist with these hosting facilities. Uh, but again, they have the at-home mining stuff. So you can buy an ASIC, uh, get it sent to your house, or you can get one of their hosting setups as well 
They just partnered with a, a large facility up in Ontario. They're going to have 140 megawatts of capacity coming online in 2022. Uh, they also have a great newsletter. Uh, Zach Bowl, Will Foxley are working hard to push that out as well. Go check everything out at compassmining.io. Last but not least, this trip was brought to you by our good friends at Brains. Brains is here to get more individuals getting more sats out of their ASICs. All right, they're the team behind Slush Pool and they're the team behind Brains OS Plus firmware. If you have an ASIC that is compatible with the Brains OS Plus firmware and you're not using it, you're leaving sats on the table. It's as simple as that. Uh, you can go to their website, Brains, B R A I I N S dot com, to check out uh, what models are compatible with Brains OS Plus firmware. Again, they had the team behind Slush Pool, they had a huge update over the summer that uh, enabled uh, payout thresholds and the ability to split percentages. If you have a mining operation that has many individuals and you don't want to do the splits, after it hits the pool, you can just uh, do the splits in the slush pool UI. That's really good. Uh, What's Miner is coming very soon, from what I hear. Um, they're also looking to hire Rust developers, system admins, anybody who's worked on hardware. Uh, so go check all this out at brains.com, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. Check out their blog. Check out their mining profitability tools. Check out everything they got going on. And enjoy this rip with Justin Resvani. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts, so it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Probably should be. You probably should be. Justin Resvani. How you doing, Marty? Doing good. I'm, I'm dreaming about uh, ice baths and saunas now that you mentioned it right before we hit. It's a beautiful thing to do it a few times a week. I used to have one at my house. and That's what, uh, I haven't had it in my routine since I lived on the Upper East Side in New York. My, uh, my gym up there. Wasn't, didn't have an ice bath, but I had a nice steam room. I'm a big steam guy. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been a while, though. It's good for your body to have a little bit of extremes. It's nice to push the boundaries. It really is. So you're all about, before we get into Bitcoin, Zion, and everything... You're a very interesting person that I've been getting to know over the last, geez, few months. Yeah. Six months maybe now at this point. Um, you came and you brought, you came with gifts, like a true Texan. Uh, you gave me bullets, nine millimeter, and uh, a token with the word sympathy on it. Yep, yep. And it's the idea to just be reminded of your meditations and the meditations of your life and the things that you have to kind of think about every day. And so how did you get into meditation and all that stuff? I think it, it's always been a part of me. So, you know, I, I started my first company in my 20s and I was very young. I've, I've kind of always been generally unemployable, I would say. I, <laughs> I, had a, I had a job for six months and a guy with ideas is not a good employee. And so I always, I'm always in my head. I've always been in my head tremendously and, and what meditations have allowed and particularly like people like Marcus Aurelius that, that inspired me a lot is just to really reflect on, on your life. And probably the thing that was the, the biggest catalyst for that was pretty much dying 
two years ago on November 20th. And, and, and that put everything in my life in perspective. Holy shit. What happened then? I, so, I don't think I've heard this story. I, I mean, so you haven't heard my stroke story, my uh, tumor, brain tumor stroke story? No. So I, I think like, so I'm a man of extremes, right? So start a company in my 20s, you know, try to do something. I had no business starting a company in my 20s sell the business at 27 and then i'm like i was overweight i was 240 pounds when holy I, shit i was a big boy and i was just drinking and and just doing very bad things all the time and i was like okay i'm gonna go do an iron man so i was 240 pounds i was like i'm gonna go figure out how to do an iron man and 500 days later i do an iron man my full, first full distance was in uh, august 19th 2019 and then, so I'm in the best shape of my life. I feel great. I, I lose 70 pounds to do that Ironman. I was 168 pounds by the time I did my race. I was, I was getting very competitive. I came in like fourth overall in the Malibu triathlon. I was like becoming a competitive, like kind of almost training as a professional athlete. And then two months after that, it's November 20th, 2019. I'm sitting in my orthodontist chair, getting my braces tightened. And the moment he turns on that light, you know, the, the light that's mm -hmm. in the dentist chair, I peer into the light and I leave my body and I start following another version of myself down this like kind of grass pathway. And then that version of myself is just happy and just it's, it's me, but it's a different version. And I snap back into my body and I'm pale white. I'm sweating. I, uh, and I start throwing up and my doctor's assistant is freaking out he's like you passed out you stopped breathing and it was like very weird for a few minutes and so I feel really sick and my doctor comes over he's like oh you just you just passed out it happens to people in dentist chairs all the time is a vasal vagal dilation something like that I'm like thinking to myself there's something wrong here like this is not just that the doctor lets me leave in my car huh. and I go to a meeting and my friends that are at the meeting are like, you need to call a neurologist. I call a neurologist and they say, go to the ER right away. I drive myself to Santa Monica ICU. Uh, it was a UCLA Santa Monica. They put me in a CAT scan and they're like, your brain is bleeding and you have, a, you have what we think is a cavernoma in your right temporal lobe. We can't do anything for you. We need to move you to the ICU at Ronald Reagan across Los Angeles because their ICU can handle your situation. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, I just done an Ironman two months ago. I'm in the best, I'm like 8% body fat at this point. And they're like, your brain is bleeding and we don't know what to do. Holy shit. And that's when my life changed. That was the moment my life changed for the foreseeable future. And, and November 20th, 2019 goes down as kind of my life changing, my reawakening per se. And they rush me to the next hospital. They do an angiogram. They put a tube all the way into my brain. They find that I had this benign tumor called a cavernoma that it ex exploded. That it, that so there's it's bleed. My brain is bleeding effectively from the inside out, and they basically proceed to tell me they're like you've had you've had a seizure. You've had severe seizures. That's what that thing was when you left your body. Mm -hmm. um, you've had some version of a hemorrhagic stroke <clears throat> and uh, you have to be here for the next few days and we have to stop the bleeding through an angiogram. They did their thing. And six weeks later, I had brain surgery to remove that. Holy that shit. was the beginning of my 2020. Holy shit. So we're coming up on the two year anniversary was today. The second where. 18 yeah. days away from that. 18 days away from the two-year anniversary of my seizure, yeah. 
Holy fuck, dude. I didn't know that uh, was part of your story. And so when you, when you say you think that's the day that my life changed forever, like how, how did it change? Obviously, before that, you had made considerable change tra- training for this triathlon and successfully engaging in like competitive racing. Like what, what changed for you after November 20th, 2019 death? Um, there, there's something about your life when you prepare for death. And I now have a very intimate relationship with death. I, you know, for, for all intensive purposes, getting ready for a craniotomy brain surgery is not like a normal thing that you're going to change your knee or going to do your shoulder. Like, they're going to open up your brain and they don't know what's going to happen and they don't know how much it's going to bleed. They don't know. Like, so I was in some ways spending, I, I spent six weeks learning how to die <laughs> because I didn't know what was going to happen. What do you mean learning how to die? How do you learn how to die? Just come to you read a lot of Ram Dass. <laughs> you read okay. a lot of Ram Dass and you realize that you, you start building this intimate relationship with death. And now I have this relationship with death that I think is a little bit different than most people. Like, I will go to a cemetery and meditate just for the idea of being closer to death because it's the only absolute that we all have. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing that's absolute from all of us. And we, we will all at one day die. And I think for me, being 32, when that happened to me, it got to bring death to my, like, it, it's with me. I have this intimate relationship with the idea of death. And what it's allowed me to do is now be very brave in my decision-making of what I can do because I only have one chance at this. I only have one chance at bat. I only have one chance to to make an impact on the world. And this has been the catalyst that that led me to build this company. It has led to build me on the things that I want to do and contribute to the world. It's allowed me to just be so much like I'm I'm more I'm brave because of that moment. And I and I wasn't brave as brave before. <clears throat> I know that for a fact. Is there some I don't know, maybe it is really if just like all right, I've been there before death like it's time to send it like no worry about what people think how you're viewed um no wasting time doing things is it a relief or is it a a motivation it's it's absolutely a motivation and i think it's also that i can't focus on the negativity of of what happens because there's there's constantly haters there's constantly people You've that experience want to, that in the Bitcoin where I can, I, I have a little bit. Yeah. And, and it, there's constantly people that are, you're, that are trying to fight you and say, you know, what you're doing is not going to work, whatever it may be. There's, there's that constant battle, but the ultimate is your death. Mm-hmm. And if I've already kind of faced, I think the most extreme aspect, because all of these things don't matter at the equalizer level, right? All these people saying things about you or how you, you all the, it doesn't matter ultimately when death is in, in, in play. And it's the ultimate equalizer for all of us. We're all going to face that at one point. And I, I, I think I was very lucky to be able to face it in my 30s and mm-hmm. to face that idea early on in my life and in my career. And it's, it's allowed me to blossom as this individual that I reflect on my own mortality every day. I have this tattoo on my arm Amor Fati, which is like the fate of life. And then on the other side, I have Memento Mori to remember that I must die. Mm-hmm. I must die. And I have it on, imprinted in my body. I got these tattooed two months after my surgery. And so it's, it's with me every day to think about having the love of fate and then remembering that I must die every day. Damn, I was not expecting to start the conversation off at this, man. So is everything good with you or do you it's, have to do like- I mean it's 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 good. Generally I you know, I have to get an MRI every couple months. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm in the process of doing that. But you know, the the truth is 
when you're recovering from brain surgery, it takes years to really get back to maybe what you were. But I have this spiritual thought that, you know, I told you that path that I went down and I followed a version of myself. I think I switched timelines with that other version of Justin and I woke up in this timeline. And I think that's what led me to, in some ways, what led me to Bitcoin and in the way that I built this thing, because it allowed for this like really deep thought process of sovereignty mm -hmm. and like saying like, this is sovereign is your path. This is the way you have to go. And I think it's kind of been this awakening because I, at the time, I was not going to work again. I was like, you know what? I'd sold my business. I'd made enough money. I'm good. But it pushed me to start something new. And then arguably I've, I've, I've decided to do something in a category that's very difficult. It's very hard to do what we're trying to do. So it's really been that push. So I, I have so much gratitude for the experience. Yeah. And we're going to dive in everything you're doing with Zion, but I still want to dig into this too. Two different Justins. How does the one that you met and potentially switched timelines with, uh, compare to the Justin before November 20th, not 2019. It's, it's this idea of, was I living my true purpose or was I just being lazy? Because I think, first of all, I think I'm very lucky. I think I was, I was, you know, I'm a first generation American. My parents were born in Iran. I was born in this country. I was born with so much opportunity and I got to sell my business when I was 27 years old and I was so lucky to do that, right? I worked very hard, don't get me wrong, but how the stars aligned for me to find my investor to, to have bought the business when I was 20, like I sold, I signed the papers when I was 26 years old. Like that's just so lucky for me to have done that. And then after I sold the business, I got lazy. I said, you know what? I'm just going to focus on doing Ironman. And mm -hmm. I call that being lazy, right? <laughs> like, like I'm just going to focus on like acting as if I'm a professional athlete. But I stopped working. And I think this happening to me was this like reawakening, be like, you have gifts that you need to produce for the world. So get back to work and go do the thing that you're supposed to do in this lifetime and then into this timeline. And here, I'm going to hop you to a new timeline and accelerate what you need to do in the world. Mm -hmm. That's what I, I truly believe has happened. And I, I've, I've reflected on this uh, like a month and a half ago. I was I was in ceremony in, in Costa Rica. We did ayahuasca and it told me this exact same story. Like you did hop a new timeline and you have to now accelerate growth in this way. That's, <clears throat> I, I, I need to do my ayahuasca trip at some point in the future. Uh, I've done the other psychedelics, but not ayahuasca yet. And I don't even know if people will consider it a psychedelic, but I'm trying to figure out where I want to get. Should we describe the business you created before and then get into Zion? Because I think that's an interesting story, too. Like, I, I, yeah, let's get into it. I mean, you were 26 years old. You had built and sold a business uh, at a at a valuation that allowed you to essentially think that you could retire at 26. How, yeah. How did that happen? Yeah, I mean, so I've always had this general belief that creators are the most powerful mechanisms of change in the world. I've always had that in my core. I knew, you know, when I was in college, I knew mobile was going to be a thing. You know, the iPhone was released one year. My first year in college was mm -hmm. when the iPhone was released. I graduated uh, Cal Poly Pomona in 2011. So the internet has had basically just started the moment that I graduated. And I, and I do believe that the internet's really only 10 years old. I think anything before that is really desktop based and we didn't really have apps and all that thing. So the internet's effectively 10 years old, the day I graduate. And I knew mobile was going to be the future of everything. And I knew creators had that core thing. And so what I, what I built, the first company I built was called The Amplify. Effectively what it was, it was an app that connected an influencer to a brand. 
We were the first app on the App Store that did that. Now, almost every influencer marketing company in the world has some sort of a mobile app experience. But in 2013, that wasn't really the case. It was very new for that. So we were the first way that if you wanted to buy impressions on Instagram, Right now, it's like a, I have this article I wrote in 2014 that every brand should be on Instagram. And at the time, it was this article that was like, wow, this thing called Instagram, we should all be on it now. It's obvious for everyone. But at the time, there was no way for a brand to build an audience on Instagram. They didn't have ads until 2015. So for two years, you could come to us. We would help pair you with 20 to 30 influencers. And then they would grow your audience on Instagram. And we worked on, I think, 52 movies my first year. You know, we, we did, I think it was one, I t it was 1.1 million in revenue first. We doubled revenue every year for four years and like really grew to be an amazing kind of business in that category. And so the I whole idea was creators needed to build a more intimate relationship with brands mm -hmm. instead of going through agents instead of going through managers, instead of going through all these levels of arbiters. And at the time, the only payment vehicle we could use was PayPal. So we put their PayPal accounts inside of the app. And the moment that they posted, we would wire them the PayPal funds immediately. So this was revolutionary at the time where you like remove the middleman mm -hmm. to do a brand deal. So this is where like the inception of, I think this idea of removing the arbiter came to my life. Like it came to that idea of like, wow, you, if you can do things and, and build efficiencies to remove a third party, you can build an amazing business. And ultimately brands just wanted to get closer to creators. They don't want to go through all these mechanisms and technology allowed us to do that. Yeah. No, I mean, having worked at Barstool Sports, particularly on their podcast sales team, it's interesting. There was there was two avenues through which advertisers came into Barstool. You had like your baritone or your um, basically your agencies that brokered deals for the advertisers or you had advertisers come direct um, that had their own internal teams. But I completely agree, like the power of the influencer uh, in the marketing world over the last decade as as that's where all the marketing dollars are shifting, like content marketing via influencers. That's how you're going to grow your brand. And, and, and the category, I mean, to build a very big business very fast, it's actually the advertising business is an amazing place to do it because imagine these people are writing you 50, 100, $200,000 checks just to start as an idea. Mm -hmm. Right. And like to build a business with like a 52% margin, getting a hundred grand, like, I had, I had worked at a job that I made $26,000 a year before. And then six weeks into my company, I made two times that in six weeks. So there's like a really interesting arbitrage that could have been done there. And that's really where I started thinking about business. And, you know, the whole idea was you want to remove the middleman. And even in the advertising business, there's still so many middlemen, right? Like most companies, big brands, they'll go give their budget to a media company. Then the media company goes spend it. They take 10%. Then this one takes 30%. By the time you get down the chain, the creator gets 50% of whatever mm -hmm. the actual money allocation was. So the general idea of removing an arbiter was very early in my career where I knew I wanted, I wanted technology to do that. I, I believe technology should do that. Yeah. And I can hear uh, some of the freaks in the background screaming, advertising, advertising, it corrupts things, which I mean, obviously uh, disclaimer, this podcast is monetized via advertising, but I, I guess that's an interesting question of our time as we shift further into the digital age, like is the advertising model as it's been formed to date good? Does it create perverse incentives for content creators to maybe sell themselves out 
for for those dollars. I, I think the future of advertising should be enmeshed with creators themselves. I think mm -hmm. the future of brands are brands developed by creators based upon their own affinities. I don't think the future of brands is is these large conglomerates selling toothpaste and selling all these things and destroying the planet at scale. I think the future is creators themselves starting to build their own brands and then using their own voice to sell those products into these micro communities. That's what I think the future of brands look like. I don't think it needs to be like a Unilever spending billions of dollars on advertising to mm -hmm. convince you to buy Dove soap or whatever it may be. Because I don't think that's good for the world at all. I think the traditional advertising model is completely broken. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to go here, but it feels like it's the most obvious, like perverse incentive advertising model. It's like the pharmaceutical companies like right now. Uh, so per fucked. Particularly like funding all the news channels. Of uh, course. It's like brought to you by Pfizer. Brought to you by <laughs> Pfizer. Every yeah. fucking thing is brought to you by Pfizer. It's yeah. disgusting. Yeah. And you think there's no perverse incentive for them to tell you to get a vaccine? Yeah. It's see that's the so that's where most people worry. Like how do we shift that? And you we've already seen the emergence of uh like you have Dave Portnoy with his one bite pizza. He He's creating his own pizza. He's creating his own gambling brand too, uh, with the Barstool Sportsbook. Um, so it's starting to happen. I guess like the question, the bridge that needs to be ga gapped is like, can these content creators create uh, like viable brands, viable products? At the end of the day, can a content creator shift from creating content to creating a product that gets delivered to to their um, to their audience? I think, I think there's a couple things that need to, to be done to get there. I think there has to be companies that support these creators. And I think there are now companies being invented to support creators and to build the things that they want to bring to the world. But what they own, and, and I think this is the transition that we need to get to, and this is kind of why I decided to cite Zion in the first place, is I also realized that in this entire experience, content creators are basically renting mansions in other people's backyards with no rental agreement. They have no actual ownership of their audiences. And they have no, and at, at any moment, Mark Zuckerberg or Jack or whoever it may be can decide based upon terms of service that you can turn off that individual based upon rules and regulations that they have. So they've amassed this audience without any actual ownership. And a third party can turn them off at any time. And I don't believe that a future of the world looks like that. Mm -hmm. I think the future of the world is that if a creator builds an audience and they build a, they build a really good, strong relationship with their audience, they should own that for the rest of their life. And why not just, not just build a technical relationship, but build a monetary relationship. And that's how we lead down to the idea of building a social network on top of lightning. Yeah. And so let's get into that. Zion It's the app you've created and launched. Uh, how did, did you know about Bitcoin on November 20th, 2019? Obviously you probably knew about I, I it. I own, yeah. And I, and I think this is a really good story on how this all came about. So I own the asset, right? I think, I think anyone that was, that was in tech at some point owned the asset. And so how this all started was the uh, middle of 2020, um, I moved to Austin and I, I start getting introduced to these creators in Austin that happen to be friends of mine. And these are creators that 
started getting banned on social media. And one particular person, Mickey Willis, right? He did the pandemic documentary, mm-hmm. the most banned movie ever in the history of the world. I think I might have uh, an MP4 file on my uh, computer okay. of pandemic. And what's really interesting is a year later, every single thing in that documentary is correct. Every single thing that he mentioned in that. And Mickey, love you very much. And basically... I made some phone calls and I, you know, this is the, the new life kind of coming in as like, it's seven months after my brain surgery, I'm feeling better. And I said, I started making phone calls and I called one particular person. This is a person that's an investor in lightning labs, voltage and Sphinx. And I said, if I want to build something that can never be turned off, that a creator can build a monetary relationship with their audience and like a, a true censorship resistant social network, what could that look like? You know, what could that build? And what ended up happening was I started to develop a thesis. I started to develop a general thesis of saying, okay, what does the future of social media look like? And it's a few parameters, right? I kind of wrote this down is that the future of social media is going to be built on a monetary layer. It's going to have permissionless innovation. It's going to be open source. It's going to be peer-based governance versus platform-based governance. It's going to be censorship resistant. The creators own everything. And you have digital property rights through encryption. These were the general things that I thought that this is what the future of a social media app should look like. So that investor um, introduced me to Paul and Sphinx. And so I went down this really deep rabbit hole of saying, okay, if I'm going to build this, what am I going to build it on? A lot of my VC friends were trying to convince me to tell me lightning would never work. They're like, go build it on Solana, go make your own coin. (laughs) But I knew... I knew in my heart that was wrong. I knew in my heart that the only way to do this long term was to do it through Bitcoin and to do it through Lightning. So Paul and I developed a partnership. And for the next three months, basically from November all the way to, to February of 2021, Paul and Sphinx started building Zion. And they were our development team. And they were the guidance of you know, saying, okay, we're going to fork the code and we're going to build this other version of the app and we're going to have all these different features, but we're going to use it on top of what we've already built, but you're going to build a different version of the app. So we worked with Sphinx for about three months. And then in March, Sphinx had to focus on scaling and their multi-tenant kind of scaling thing. I built my own team. I spent the next few months building out all of our own infrastructure. And then in the middle of August, we launched Zion and brought that to the world and, and brought our version of what we think a social network would look like on Lightning. <clears throat> yeah, I was there at the launch party. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, and so you have JP with you as well. Yes. What uh, What's he like and how did he, you get him involved? And let's uh, describe him for any of the freaks out there who J- may not know. JP Sears, he's a comedian. He's um, a, a really good human. Um, I approached JP, a friend of ours introduced us and said, JP, you should see what Justin's building. Um, I think, I think you'd be interested in in the protocol. I introduced him to lightning. I showed him how the app worked. I showed him about data, where we store data, all those things. And he just said, I want to be involved in this project. I want to be early on and, and help you build this and tell my audience about it. And so we developed a thing to have him involved as, as an early creator in the application. And he's been very helpful in, in really translating to his audience why 
the future of social could look like this and, and having owned ownership of your data and using lightning nodes and building that thing. And, and, you know, JP is not just an amazing comedian. He's got an amazing audience of five and a half million people that listen to everything that he says. And, you know, he's just a good heart. His heart is in the right place because his, his big thing is freedom. The people that are involved in this project, this is why we don't have any like traditional VCs on our cap table. We don't because our focus is that we want people that really believe in our mission, that we want to change the world and aren't just looking at returns, 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 returns. Like they believe in the in the practice that we want to bring to the world. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and did you did you have to convince JP and your backers of Bitcoin? First, uh, or? I, I mean, I, I have to say that every single person that is on our cap table had never heard of the Lightning Network before mm -hmm. we did it, except for one person, um, Hank, and because his wife is Desiree and. Mm -hmm. She worked at Lightning Labs, so he obviously knew about the protocol. But every single other person that was involved in our cap table, I introduced the Lightning Network to, and every single person was like, holy shit, why doesn't anyone know about this? Why doesn't this doesn't exist? And the honest truth is because it's very difficult to build on. It's a very challenging thing. Like the, What we're doing is so hard, and it's just such a reframe because I think what people think about when you're like building a social network is like, oh, here's another walled garden. Here's another walled garden. Here's another walled garden. If we were to build another walled garden, we would be screwed. We have to, we're competing against the largest walled garden in the world. Facebook, they'd crush you. What meta, we're building, meta, meta. excuse me, meta. <laughs> um, what we're building is a network within the network. We are part of the lightning network. It's pretty meta. Yeah. <laughs> it's a network within a network. And at the end of the day, it's an open source network. Mm -hmm. And the more people that are on the lightning network, the better for the lightning network. And we're this like little sub thing that just started out. And that's the interesting thing that I think what some people, I think on Twitter that I've kind of noticed is that like they have some complaints about us or they have some complaints about what we're doing. At the end of the day, we're not building another walled garden. We're building inside of Lightning. We want Lightning to get larger. We're bringing thousands of nodes onto the Lightning network. And that's the reality of what we're trying to do is like, we're not trying to build another walled garden. They're all Lightning nodes. So first they're Lightning customers and then they're Zion customers, but they mm. first start with Lightning. All right, so let's get into it. Some of the criticisms. Okay, why is it not a walled garden? Like, is everything open source? Uh, I've got some thoughts on that, not like, like you can create lightning networks, individual lightning networks. It's like a topic of the podcast last few episodes. Um, got to onboard with a credit card. Like that's not Bitcoin. That's not a, that's not a closed loop economy. Like what the hell? Like this is a scam. Um, and then like forking off a sphinx and, and build a sphinx and building on that. Like what's, what's been the, the back and forth with that team? Like, are you guys like, uh, feeding code back into their open source project. Like, how's that all working? So let's tackle those one at a time. Yeah. So the first question to, to recap it, just so I, I want to make sure that I answer everything succinctly and properly. So first question was, how's it not a walled garden? Or so every single customer, every member is running a traditional lightning node. And then after we take the lightning node and we start our version of our relay, and then we also open a channel to our root node. Mm -hmm. And that's the first version of people joining is through this one click checkout option that we wanted to provide for our particular customer segment. Our software is also available on GitHub. 
our Relay is open source. We will eventually be on Umbral, Start9, all of these other services. But what people don't really understand is how hard these app stores are to build on right now. And we have mm -hmm. limited technical resources where our engineers are working 100 hours a week and dockerizing a Relay into Umbral is not an overnight project. It takes weeks of development. And we just launched 60 days ago. We're, we're trying our very best. But the point in all of this is that we will do that. It's just mm -hmm. a timing effectiveness. Your second question about credit cards is that the one-click checkout option. We believe that if we can bifurcate the difficulties of joining the Lightning Network and make it as easy as possible for new people to enter this market, that's how we bring millions of people on to Lightning. And at the end of the day, we have to always remember, everyone bought Bitcoin at some point with fiat. They mm. moved from this other monetary system into Bitcoin. And we're just providing another way to do that. I understand that it's not ideal. Once we can figure out how to do subscription payments with Lightning, we will obviously allow for that. We've been talking to the OpenNode team for a while and just like we can't do subscriptions. So for us, we want to make it as easy for our customers to be able to get on Lightning. And right now, one-click checkout was our best solution. It's not our long-term solution, but the point is that that's how we wanted to start to allow for people to join the network. Mm -hmm. And it's... <clears throat> what if you... What if like me running my own lightning node, I could join. You can, you can, so you can download our relay. We have mm. a self-hosted box on our GitHub that's been available since the day that we launched. Yeah. Dockerizing it right now is not an easy thing. Mm. And I had a call this morning with an engineer and he said, I want to help you make this an easy install onto my node. And we want to do that too. We just haven't figured out exactly that piece on saying, how do we make this a one-click checkout? But the relay is available online. Yeah. You can go download the open source doc. We are, we are free and open source. All of our code is up there. And I think one thing to remember about this, you know, now tackling this, the Sphinx thing is that we have 33 repositories to have built Zion. Mm -hmm. Three of them come from Sphinx. So as much as people are like saying like, oh, we just, you know, first of all, you can't copy open source software, right? The second thing is we had, they were the ones that originally we worked together and to build all the other things that made us a company and made us a real business, we had to do on our own. And we're constantly trying to communicate with the Sphinx team and say, hey, how can we help or how can we contribute? And we want to give back to the community as much as we can. But they're also in their own world and they're also building their own thing. So, you know, I can't force anyone to collaborate with us. I can't, I can't force a collaboration. No, no, you can't. And um, you can't. And I think the important thing to remember is like, you can't fork customers and you can't fork value. And at the end of the day, we've provide, I think we're providing some value to people inside of Lightning and, and trying to build more customers into the Lightning network. That's our only goal. That's our only, is like, we want to bring more people to this ecosystem. No, that's the uh, the one thing I told you after your launch party, because um, I thought your launch party was fascinating because it wasn't Bitcoiners. And I was telling Ryan Gentry was there with me. Like, this is what, to me, and like, don't get triggered. Um, any, any of you freaks listening out there just been like hardcore Bitcoiners for like the last number of years. Like, uh, to me, just as an observer, like, this is something I've been waiting on. And like, even when I was at Barstool, I was trying to convince like the engineering team there to like uh, maybe like do, they wanted to do some paywall content. And I was like, maybe do it with the lightning network. Um, it was just too early for them. But like, that's something me personally, I've been waiting on is like people who many would consider outside the Bitcoin bubble coming in and just building on it. 
I'm not asking for permission, permission, just doing it and bringing a whole another type of audience, which I think was very unique about what you're doing at Zion and partnering with JP specifically in tapping into his audience um, and attempting to get them to come on to Bitcoin and the Lightning Network. And that's that, but that's also what attracted me to Bitcoin is yeah. this idea of permissionless innovation. It's this idea that you can build a new type of way of communicating on the internet through this open source protocol and allow a payment to move from two individuals without anyone in the middle. This permissionless trust protocol that, that, that Bitcoin and lightning allows. That's why I decided to build on Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Again, we like so many people said, no, this is a bad idea. Very big influencers on the internet. Like people that talk about whatever this thing is, web three, the metaverse, crypto, all this <laughs> stuff, like, which I don't, I'm not a dictionary. I don't know terms. I don't even know what to call this, but what I know is that Bitcoin is allowing for something very new on the internet. And I don't know what to call it. I don't know the name. I'm not a dictionary. I don't know what to say. But there's something happening in the world, and we want to be part of that. And we want to be part of that story and, and what Bitcoin provides. Essentially just a free market. That's the way I would describe it, like a pure free market with no um, no ability to shut it down. Or, yeah. I don't want to say no ability, very, uh, very high uh, bar to shut it down if you wanted to and so like let's get into the nitty-gritty of zion like what is the experience like for a user is looking to uh, digest content and what's it like for a content creator so i think the the core functions of what we're building in the world is that we want to focus all of our engineering resources and our and our infrastructure on three functions the idea to join chat pay mm -hmm. the idea to join communities and particularly decentralized communities, censorship-resistant communities, chat with anyone in the world, chat with your friends, chat interoperably. I think this is w one really important point that, and this is what people forget is, you know, Paul was at my house in December of last year, and it was me and Paul sitting for a few days that I was living on the lake at the time here in Austin. And our, our dream that we put together was that, imagine if you had two different applications run by two different companies, two different balance sheets, but they can talk interoperably to each other within the Lightning Network. And I think that's what we achieved. I could, you could send me your Sphinx pub key and I'm in Zion and I can message you across two completely different applications because it's being done through Lightning. So an interoperable chat system that you can chat with anyone in the world through a pub key. And the final is pay. Pay anyone in the world through Lightning, through anything. So our app, revolves around those three particular functions. And we're focusing engineering resources on each of those individual functions. And communities revolve around creators. So what you'll see in our app is that, you know, the first page when you enter a community is very much like Instagram. It's an Instagram style feed of all the content that be, is, is being posted by the creator. The creator is the, is the focus of that individual feed, their photos, their videos. We embed videos from Rumble, from YouTube. And the beauty is we can embed unlisted videos. So imagine somebody is, you know, worried about censorship on these, these centralized platforms. Imagine if they just create a random Rumble account, make an unlisted link from an unlisted video that no one on the face, like no one could actually see publicly. And then they could embed that file and share it to their community inside of Zion through this MQTT broker, mm -hmm. send it to all these individuals, the data, that <clears throat> link, that link that's shared, that rumble link is stored on their nodes database. We have no central database that stores this information. It's all in the individual users nodes and then being shared out to that entire community. 
that to me is like the future implications of what this thing can do and what lightning can do. And then imagine someone can pay someone for that video. Someone can pay to see that video at scale. And that's, I think, the beauty of what these new networks can provide is this permissionless, open source ability to pay anyone for anything on the internet. Yeah. Which With is, no central, there's no central database. Doing, like, to me, that's remarkable. It's, yeah, it's remarkable. Some people would say it's scary, but it's, it's here, freaks. Like it or love it. It's, uh, it's here. This stuff is possible. And again, another reason why I was excited to, to meet you and go to the launch party and see everything you guys are doing with Zion is because it's really highlighting the utility of the Lightning Network and, um, and the use cases that are possible. And I guess that's another question. I can hear like the Grubles of the world, the Fiat Joffs of the world screaming like Lightning's not meant for messaging. It's not meant for this type of use. Like what would you say to um, critiques like that? I don't think we know what all these things are used for. Mm -hmm. I think that we're, 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 we're so early in all of this stuff, right? If we like, like, I think people arguing about how something should be or something else, we're so early for all the processes. I think we're so early in all of these, these aspects. What is there like 17,000 active nodes on lightning with active channels, according to one ML I checked this morning. Come on, we're not, we're not, this, this is, this is so small in the larger scheme of things that we don't even know what's possible yet. And yes, lightning is made for payments and they're an amazing and using it, use the web for what it's really good for. But I don't think we really know yet. And I think the point is that we want to push this permissionless innovation to figure out all the edges of what we can do, figure out all the edges of what we can provide. But what I know is important is that if I can pay someone for a photo or a video without anyone in the middle, that's an amazing feat. Yeah. And to do it with a decentralized monetary layer. That's that's the most important thing I think of all of this and particularly why I chose to build this on Bitcoin and Lightning and not another thing was because there's so much platform risk in other places that is extremely centralized. I could have done it and I could have made a lot of money. But I chose not to because I knew this was the right decision. I knew Bitcoin was the only way to have built this for the longevity of this company. And the longevity of how we think the world should work is that Bitcoin allows for the like truly a native currency of the Internet. And it makes so much sense to be like, I think what's interesting about this space is that some people never understood, like particularly like these older investors, they don't never understood a utility for Bitcoin. And now I've gone to them and said, digital content for digital currency. You can now use Bitcoin to buy videos on the Internet. And to them, that's like, oh, wow, that's like a perfect use of Bitcoin. Because it's native video for native currency. It's like a native thing. It makes a lot of sense. Why should you take fiat and put it on the internet where you could use internet money? Yeah, you can literally tap into like the what the like the internet stack and create like this tokenization paywall that is native to the internet. It's not a clunky credit card payment process or PayPal, whatever it may be. It's literally native internet payments for native digital content of course and, and and looking at like the links in the chain i think this is something that we actually put in our original deck was i outlined what do direct support platforms look like and then what does zion look like in particular so let's look let's compare a direct support platform like a patreon or an OnlyFans. so you have patreon then you have the website the hosting of the website 
Then you have the credit card processor, the hosting of the credit card processor. Then you have the credit card itself. Then you have the bank and then you have the creator. So the most innovative direct support platform still has six levels of arbiters that at any point can cut you off and turn you off. One of those particular links in the chain. Whereas the future to actually move a payment is one protocol away and maybe two hops at the most, mm -hmm. right? Like you have maybe one node in the middle that's maybe the, the, the hop that you're using inside of the Lightning Network, but that's all protocol-based. They can't censor that transaction. But you can move for that same thing between two individuals on a protocol layer and move money. And it's instant settlement. It's not a month. It's not the credit card. It's instant immutable settlement. And I think to me, that's the other beautiful part about this is you let smart contracts decide how things work. And effectively, Lightning is a smart contract platform. These HTLCs are actually what decide all these things and the beauty of, of the Lightning Network. Mm -hmm. And now we let the internet decide how payments should move with instant settlement. And I think that's just the amazing innovation that the Lightning Network provides. And there's this doesn't exist anywhere else. I, I, I've looked at almost everything and nothing can do it in this way. And I think that just continues to show the power of Bitcoin. Yeah, it's fucking... People are sleeping on the Lightning Network. They're sleeping on Bitcoin more generally. Um and they're sneak, sleeping on like the ability to actually build shit like right now. Like, yeah, it's a bit clunky. Yeah, there's a lot of, I don't want to say bugs, but it's, we're learning a lot. That's actually, um, last time I saw you, I don't know if you're comfortable describing the particular problem that you had that day with... Uh, Losing the Bitcoin? <laughs> is it completely a lot? You can find it, right? But well, yeah, I mean, so we're... don't two know weeks, where it is. Two weeks later, we're still looking for it. Okay. So, and I, I mean, I don't mind sharing this because I think we should have write-ups on this. We're going to write a pull request on LND to know that this is an issue. But so we... About two weeks ago, we opened, um, we launched, we brought on 1,200 new nodes and we had to open 1,200 channels with those nodes with this funding script that we developed in Python. But what ended up happening was that through the multi-sig, we ended up double spending the transaction and in some random wallets, we now have between 20 and 50 million sats sitting and <laughs> um, in, inside of these multi-sigs. And mm -hmm. we are in this discovery process using Chan tools, using the geniuses at LND to figure out how do we find these things. But the reason that it affects us and really nobody else is that there aren't a lot of people starting thousands of channels with lightning nodes at a time. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting is like we're pushing these boundaries of these protocols to try new things and then breaking stuff and then learning a ton as a result and saying, you know, what we're, ex I mean, what I'm most excited about, first of all, I want to get the Bitcoin back, but also dot 14 is releasing automated channel opening with the new L and D software that's getting released. And there's all these new trick stuff that they're, so we're, we're early and I know that the protocols will eventually catch on because mm -hmm. this has to be done at the protocol layer. This can't be done at the application layer. Like L and D needs to build these things. And we're just very early into the process. And what, what I think we have a competitive advantage as a company is that we are early enough to learn and figure out all this stuff. So tomorrow, if someone wants to start a company, they're going to have to figure all this stuff out that we took a year to 
break and, and lose Bitcoin and figure out the problems and spend engineering resources and finding this Bitcoin. <laughs> I hope that the next time we chat, I can tell you we found the Bitcoin and we can open up more channels. But it's a lot of that's a lot of money. Like losing it overnight is a lot. Yeah. They'd have to do something with like UTXO input overload and the particular HTLCs or something. Like that. I, I don't know the exact technical terms. I think that's something that we would have to ask Boz about because he's been knee deep in helping us figure out where this stuff, where, where it's all <laughs> went. And these guys are geniuses. I'm, I'm so blessed. And I, I think what's really important that I always acknowledge is that Zion is being built on the backs of giants. And it's not because of anything that we've innovated. It's the innovation of Sphinx. It's the innovation of L&D. It's an innovation of all the companies that came before us that helped us along the way, all of our advisors to build this thing. Like this is not something that we did. We're building on the backs of giants. And I think that's the thing that I'm so attracted to of this community is this idea of permissionless innovation, that we can all build something together. And then some idiot like me can come in and hopefully build something for regular people. Mm -hmm. that's the, my goal is our customer segment are regular people that want to get introduced to Bitcoin for the first time and have a really easy on-ramp to get onto the lightning network. Well, let's talk about that first few months in what, uh, what has it been like for the regular people? Have you had feedback? Do you I, have many regular people or do you find it's mostly Bitcoiners? Is actually it? most people that are, that are our customers, it's, it's, it's either their first or second time interacting with Bitcoin ever. Some of them don't even have Bitcoin. So mm -hmm. they're going through our guide and they're using our service as a one-click checkout. So because our nodes provide a channel and the relay already attached, they can start off and then they go to a river or they go to a strike and they can actually, those are all KYC'd, they can move sats into their non-custodial node because we're non-custodial. We, we don't have all the private keys are held on the device. They're held by the individual customers. They can bring Bitcoin into their lightning nodes and then they can transact mm -hmm. all freely. So what's been really interesting is that most people joining are fans of JP. They're, they're core freedom and sovereignty focused and those people want to learn about it and they've gone to our guide. We've had over a hundred thousand people view our guide oh, in shit. the last 60 days. We have over 11,000 people that have signed up for our wait list to join the app and we've onboarded 1500 people to the lightning network in the last 60 days. That's a lot of, that's and a lot of people that are paying. They're paying us $12 a month to join. And, and it could be arguably be, arguably, uh, arguably be more, but you're trying to pace it. Correct. Is we, that yeah, we are, we are very much tr because we're breaking things along the way. We started with 350, then we did 750 last month. We brought 1500 in October. We're, we're doubling network capacity every 30 days because we're learning new things. And one, one particular thing is that we have, some elements that are that are centralized like there's one service like our website that displays the communities there's a centralized element to that mm -hmm. and it's never been scaled on kubernetes before because we're trying to move to an own data center from mm -hmm. that service we, we don't want to be restricted to one of these large companies data we want to go to our own data center and it's never been done for an mqtt broker to be built on kubernetes it's taken us two months to engineering that that MQTT broker. It just has. It's like we have a full DevOps engineer working on that full time. <laughs> it's never been done in that way for, for a team before. So we had to figure all those things out for the first time. So because Kubernetes allows us to go to a data center mm -hmm. in case somebody wants to turn us off and we want to be censored. All right. I'm an idiot. What's MMQT? MQTT. MQTT. Okay. MQTT. This is the thing that innovated this whole project. And I think this is like really important to understand. I think this is the, this is the breakthrough that I think Paul found out. 
And this mm. is the thing that I got to give him, his genius, all the credit in the world for figuring this out. MQTT is an IoT messaging broker. It was made, it was invented for satellites to talk to oil rigs in the middle of nowhere to turn valves on and off. Okay. So it was a decentralized IoT messaging broker. This is the messaging broker that allows IoT devices, aka virtual lightning nodes, to talk to each other without a centralized protocol. So inside the community's uh, relay, inside of the community server, MQTT is what brokers the messages from a admin of a community to all the people that have joined their community. So right now in Sphinx, you're using that broker for all the message to go through. That's why there's a staking element because when someone sends a message, mm -hmm. they're technically moving through your node and then going out to everyone else's. Mm -hmm. So MQTT allows for that specific instance. And we needed to figure out how to put MQTT on Kubernetes in order to scale to tens of thousands, if not millions of people. Cause we have every step function of increase, there's a complexity. And I think we can get to 10,000, but our focus isn't 10,000. We want to bring this to millions of people. And so this was the thing was we had to figure out how to scale horizontally, mm -hmm. not just vertically. We have the biggest possible server now, but that's not going to work as we scale. Cause we, one thing I didn't realize, and this is, I thought people were going to join and they were just going to join JP's community, but we have 487 communities that were started in Zion in the last 60 days. Damn, that's on crazy. On average, between 30 and 15 people in each of these communities. I had no idea this was like, that was something that was the unknown unknown that I was like, okay, they're just going to join JPs and maybe some of these top creators, but that's it. But people are going in there and they're creating their own micro communities. They're creating their own thing around homeopathy medicine. They're talking their own thing about vaccine injury. They're talking about, the, and they're doing it in this free and sovereign way. That was the unknown that I didn't experience. And that's why we'd have to focus on scaling this community service as fast as possible. Because now you have these, and I think that's what the future of the internet holds is that these decentralized communities where the owner is this, is this, um, is this creator. And maybe it's a micro creator. You know, it's not someone that has thousands of people that, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that, that you, that your show kind of reaches out to, but it's these micro communities that people can like really engage with. That to me is where I want to spend a lot of my time is helping people develop their own micro communities. And then what I'm most interested on in, in what's happening is that these micro communities have their own GDP. So it's really interesting on the app hmm. is we're actually what we're releasing and what you can see in the wallet. And I, I, th I find this a really fascinating experience is that we're actually now listing contributors, contributions per community. So how much are you contributing? I was like, I'm kind of opening it right now while you're here is that we're looking as like of the communities that you're a part of, how many sats are you contributing to that community? And eventually, because we know all, what, how, how much information, how much sats each person is contributing, we're going to be releasing like a GDP report and saying, okay, what is the GDP of this micro community? Who are the people that are contributing the most in terms of sats to this individual creator? And then how many sats is that creator putting back into their own micro economy? Are they taking mm -hmm. it out? Are they re, you know, resharing? Are they like promoting other people inside their app? Well, like, so how would a creator redistribute? Like what are some of the instances or? So, so one thing I'm most excited about is this like mass payment function where mm -hmm. like a creator can just hit a button and send sats to every single person that follows them automatically. 
That, that I'm really excited about. Because remember, every person that joins your community is building a direct relationship with you through a monetary layer. So we'll have this, like, we'll call it like mass payment, where like you can just send 100 sats to everyone in your community all at once. I think that's a really interesting feature that, that, that we're going to release very soon. I also think this idea that we're seeing the next layer of the creator economy. So when I started my first company in 2013, that was really the one of the, I would say that was the story fold beginning of this thing called the creator economy, which was regular people on the internet post videos and get paid for them. Now the next layer is the followers of those individuals. So imagine a world where you have your podcast and someone starts clipping out parts of that podcast. They automatically clip out things for you. Mm -hmm. They share it to your community and then people are giving you sats for that. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really interesting opportunity of saying, and, and by the way, you get a royalty of that experience because it's all done through this smart contract inside of the community. Someone posts a meme, a funny meme. I would pay 10 sats for a funny meme because it like brought me joy and brought me excitement. And as we launch more relevant features that are traditional social, once we launch stories, once we launch all these other things that we will do in the app, it's just time. It's just a time thing that we need and figuring out engineering. That to me now brings the new layer of shareability within Lightning and within Bitcoin. Yeah. <clears throat> it's like the value for value model just brought, brought to all this shit like Bitcoin hyper charging it, if you will. Of course. And, and, and then be, what's really interesting about the dynamics that these networks provide is that the individual members can now be compensated. Like imagine you were on Facebook, but you got paid to be on Facebook. Imagine that you create something valuable for a community and people pay for it. And I think that's what's really interesting that we're seeing now. If you jump into JP's community, which is the largest inside of, inside of Zion right now, when someone like posts their song or someone posts a really thoughtful message, you see all the sats of that individuals go up. 20 people give them two to 300 sats, right? These are micro pennies at this point in terms of comparing it to fiat. But the point is it's possible. It's possible for you to send money to someone that you don't even know. You and, have no relationship with them. Yeah. And you think like your small numbers now, like in terms of volume of users, number of users, excuse me, uh, sending these payments, but you think in aggregate, if these apps do become popular, reach millions, billions of users, it'd be a considerable amount of money. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's to me is, is the opportunity is that we're so early in this process and, and what we need to do. And this is my, this is my hopeful ask and my hopeful achievement of like what I want to, you know, hopefully achieve with, with the Bitcoin community is that we have to work together. Like the battle isn't between me and Bitcoin. <clears throat> we're fighting Facebook. Yeah. And we can't battle internally for fighting or like, this is this, this is that, like this internal bickering is, is needs to, I think generally just change because we together are trying to battle Facebook and you need a big enough David to battle Goliath. I know, I, I, I know, I know that, uh, many, the bickering is never going to stop. That's what I'm going to say. It's, it's the, uh, the purity tests, the bickering, it's never going to stop. And I, I would argue it's a good thing. It is does get exhausting and a bit annoying at times, but um, it is like that social layer of Bitcoin and the stacks layers above it um, that protects the distribution of the network. But I do agree. Like it, we should be focused most exclusively on the people that we're trying to take down the central banks 
the large centralized data repositories and um, everybody who's got mass control over content and content monetization these days. Yeah, and 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 I think my my big thing is I, I want to find a way to build a bridge between us and the community in a better way. And and for me, like I was. I was talking to Crypto Graffiti last night and he was, I guess he was on a clubhouse and we were talked about for a while. And like a lot of the engineers, what they were saying was that we did not disclose properly in our GitHub, certain things were forked in the right way. So my invite is that, tell us exactly what you want us to say. Really, like tell me, we didn't disclose it properly. Tell us what you want us to disclose properly. And I'll I'll tell you like a piece of ownership that I'll take for this. the night before we launched, my marketing person at midnight before we launched said, what are we going to put on the front page? And he suggested, he's like, the world's first Bitcoin social network. Put that on the website. I said, fuck it. Put it on the website. I don't know. I don't care. I just, we need something up. And I have been working literally every night for about a month. And then we launch. And then I go home the next night and you wrote your piece. And I listened to what you said. You said, I don't think that they were the first. I think Sphinx was the first. So that night I changed it. I changed the website that day because I receive feedback. I hear it from people that I respect. And then I change our, our tone. I am not someone that's religious about anything. If someone tells us, hey, this is a better way to do it, we will do it that way. We just don't know. And I'll be the first to say, it, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing most of the time. I'm figuring it out every single day. I'm trying my best. The truth is like what I've decided to do, and this is what's really important and people have to understand is that. I've dedicated my life force energy to this. It is the most important asset to me in my life. It's the only asset I have. Everything is made up. My money is made up. But the only asset I really have and I have true sovereignty for is my life force energy. And I've decided to use my life force energy to build a Bitcoin only company. And I don't know what I'm doing most of the time. (laughs) And I'm figuring it out every day. And I need the help of people to tell me, hey, that's wrong. That's a wrong way to do it. And I will fix it. I promise that because that's what my job is. I want to improve myself. I want to be a better person every day. Well, first, don't trust verify. Make sure if somebody brings like these solutions to you, this is the way you should do it. You verify that it's good and you make your your own decision. And two, again, like to repeat something I said earlier, this is if you're out here listening, you're a hardcore freak that's been listening to TFTC for years. And we've been in uh, people are like, oh, it's not a bubble. Like there, to an extent, there is a, a bubble of Bitcoiners who listen to the same content, read the same content, have the same conversations. And I think, again, you and the creators you're bringing into Bitcoin and Lightning and the way you're building this app is just an incredible sign that Bitcoin's working, number one, and number two, that you can actually build on it. Again, yes, it may be a bit clunky. There may be pain points and stuff like that, but it, I think you're proving that it's possible. And and I think as Bitcoiners, hardcore Bitcoiners, is exactly what you want to see. People just being able to come to the protocol and the layers above it and just begin injecting and interacting with it, um, it without, obviously it's all permissionless, without permission, but without... Um, like having to worry about things like just not work, not not working, but like being impossible to interact with because it's too, too much of a, a clunky protocol to interact with. Absolutely. And I think my also other point is like, you know, particularly like your partner, Matt, right? I want to find a middle ground to have a conversation because I know like, I'll be honest, his tweet was, was a bit hurtful. Like it was like, it, it came out and it was just like, it created this thing that's like, 
fuck these guys, right? It, like it created that energy. And now two months later, I want to have an open discussion and say like, okay, like what did we do wrong? How can we improve and how do we move forward together? I'm not trying to battle anybody. I don't want anybody like to, to be battling against us and saying, fuck these guys. Like I want to have a middle ground. I want to come together and I want to build towards the future because we need to work together to battle meta. It's not going like, <laughs> to, we need to work together. They are a massive company that has a lot of money and that's who our target is. That's who we're going after. We want people to own their data and we know there's something happening. There's obviously something happening in the world because like a person like me and probably a lot of other entrepreneurs, once they see what this thing is, they realize that this is a life-changing event mm -hmm. and it only works if we work together. It only works if we work together to the same goal because this thing, no one's really using it yet, right? 70,000, 17,000, maybe 20,000 people globally. It's nothing. These guys got 3 billion people in their walled garden. Right. They're more powerful than countries. <laughs> These platforms can remove a standing president. Yeah. Like no matter what your politics are, regardless of your <clears> politics, <throat> you have to look at that as a dangerous sign that they can off basically wipe a standing president off the face of the earth. That's the kind of power they have. And I think that's way too much power. Yeah. Well, most people, that's the crazy thing. Most people have been so brainwashed to be like, yeah, skin them off. We don't need that. We need the censorship. And again, that's not a free market. And again, that's what we're building on Bitcoin lightning in the stack above it. Like it's going to be a long battle, but I think, uh, again, again, I think the tactic of getting external content creators and their audiences be to begin, like, cause you've seen the explosion of, uh, Rumble, you mentioned you have what Trump just launched. I don't truth, truth, whatever you had. Uh, you have Gab, you have all this stuff. But Gab, I will give them credit; they're pretty forward-thinking in terms of injecting Bitcoin into their product as well. Um, so they're definitely thinking the right way. Uh, I can't even name all of them. I forget, like I forget their names. But there's been a plethora of these, quote unquote, uncensorable platforms that that really aren't uncensorable no really. and i think this is the thing that i that i get riled up on a lot is like you know you have you know uh like a company like locals and you have people like like dave rubin where he like blasts on the internet how he's building the future of the internet and that we won't censor you right there's a big difference between we won't censor you and we can't censor you we're building the protocol where we can't censor you we're like i i own this company I can't go into some sort of database to see what people are messaging other people. I cannot do that, but he can. Yeah. And I like send this when, when Trump's social network went out, I just found it so interesting. It's like, so we're transferring our data ownership from Mark Zuckerberg to Donald Trump. I don't think that's the answer. No, no. I think it's, it might be a step in the right direction. I think he's going to do an amazing job and I, and I support it, but I don't think that's the answer. The answer is letting the customers, letting the members own their data. And there has to be a little bit of work to do that. I think we've been brainwashed to be like, oh, this easy, just put your email in and put a password in. It's like, the facts are the new internet, you're not just another line in the database. And in all these centralized systems, you're just another line in a database. And all these terms are marketing, right? What I hope to see is more open source companies building towards this decentralized future. And the future of a of a open and free social network has to be built on an open monetary network. 
and Bitcoin is the only answer. Like when you when you look at the entire world, you often find that like it all comes back to Bitcoin because everything else has too much platform risk. It's owned by a company. This is the only true sovereign asset left. No matter what you say, it's the only true sovereign asset left that has no ownership. Who are you going to call? Nobody. Maybe Boz sometimes if you lose your Bitcoin. Oh, um, yeah, because he's a I'm genius. I'm fucking with you. I'm yeah, fucking with you. But yeah, it's like, no, it is true. It's like the only... It is. Li- I, mean, I write this and talk about this a lot. Like It is imperative that we ensure that Bitcoin succeeds because of what you just said. is the only sovereign asset left that exists and the only ability for us as humans and citizens of this modern society to cling on to some semblance of property rights and freedom in the digital age. Like it is that imperative. Like people need to realize that there's no, and and that's actually one of my arguments against all coins. Like they're never, they'll never have the sovereignty that Bitcoin has just because they, they don't have the purity of its launch and the fact that it was able to stay under the radar for like the first three or four years of its existence before actually getting the attention of, of people that that time allowed the supply to be distributed and the network to be sh- distributed sufficiently. You're never going to re- replace that. You're never going to replicate that. It's too late. There's too many eyes on the space. Like it's to me, at least it's all or nothing. Yeah. And I, and I think we're, we're finally able to get to this like freedom through encryption idea We're we're finally able to have true property rights. Right. Like I was talking this to a friend. It's like, I don't want to own property in California anymore because I have zero control on what's going to happen. I had properties in Venice and I had a bullet go through my window and it's like, what? So, so this property is actually really owned by the inherent government and whatever the policies of that place is. I don't want to own property there because I have no actual rights. I have the rights of whatever they decide. And finally through encryption, we can actually have ownership of something. And now let's evolve into not just ownership of an asset, let's offer ownership of data. You, Facebook owns everything you do. They own every photo, they own every video, they own every one of your interactions, they keep you addicted on the thing every single day. How about a new model? How about a new way that you actually own what you produce? And we, we got into some ways that this is gonna change with like the customer interactions, but like what, how do you see this new model changing the way content's produced? Do you think it increases the quality because uh, that's another conversation I want to have with you. Like, is a world dictated and run, if you will, by content creators, influencers? Is it a, a world that we should want to live in? I think creators are the most impactful levels of change in the world. And I think that what we'll see and what we'll see evolve is that these Bitcoin creators, uh, these creators that use Bitcoin as their monetary asset, I think can be the future leaders of nations. I think Bitcoin is the beginning of this idea of like a digital nation state. And that if you could bring people together under one idea and then have a currency that that judges that community, what we're talking about, these like micro GDPs, I think eventually you could get those people to live in the same area. I think eventually you can start having those, you know, building what well, yesterday happening here citadels, right? Yeah. The whole idea, like yesterday I was on a, I was listening to a uh, spaces and they're talking about these citadels around the world that like these Bitcoin citadels. But I think the most efficient way to build those is you have to start digitally. And then you start building digital experiences for those individuals, build that micro economy, build Bitcoin going back and forth, build its own bank 
build its own version of a, you know, asset that the creator potentially holds. And then eventually they can crowdsource territory and build their own countries. I think that's the beginning of what we're seeing today. I think our kids, your kids, they might, they might generationally see that a new digital nation state has been, been founded on the ideas around Bitcoin and Bitcoin becomes that asset that moves that monetary layer. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the hope. And that'd be like another interesting thing. Maybe like, this is how we get the youths in app like Zion, like get them off TikTok, get them on the Zion. Yeah. Because we look, we don't have algorithms and we never will. Where does the name come from? Right. It's the last city in the matrix without machines. Yeah. It's the last city in the matrix without machines. We are in the matrix. No matter what you say, this idea that Mark Zuckerberg wants to build the metaverse is he wants to build you into his matrix. And this is our last stand. This is our last possible stand is to say, we think there's a new way to do it. You have to own your own data and I'm sorry, it's not free. That's the other difference about what we decided to do. It was very bold because a lot of people were like, you're crazy of the day you're going to launch. You're going to make people pay to join your app. That's not how it works. You have to be free and then figure out how to make money later that you're crazy. Why? Like, why would you do such a thing? But at the end of the day, your attention is subsidizing these applications and the algorithms are keeping you addicted and addicted to serve you more ads, to serve you more content, to stick your face in this phone for hours at a time. We don't want to do that. We think that you should go see the content you want to see from your favorite creator, engage with your friends, pay for things, and then get off and live in the real world. IRL matters. In-person interactions matter. We can't have everything done and we can't be living in goggle world. That's, I mean, I recorded with Alex Leishman, uh, CTO, CEO, founder of River yesterday. We had a deep conversation about this, like the, the whole metaverse, the goggle world. It just seems like a very nihilistic escapism. Um, like I, I had a thread about it over the weekend. Like uh, I, I think the metaverse is a terrible meme and nothing that something that we should not be striving for. And then a bunch of people being like, we're going towards a ready player one world, dude, get, get ready for it. I'm like, did you see the movie? Did you see how despotic the dystopian, the, the physical world in that movie was like, we should be fighting hand tooth and nail, um, against that. We need to fight. I mean, that's the other core thing is that, you know, I, I, I didn't share this part of the inception of why this idea became so full in me, but before I started the process of working with Paul and, and, and doing all this and building Zion, the social dilemma documentary came, came out and I watched it. I was in Sedona at the time and I watched it and I was saying to myself, fuck, like I am, I am one of these people that caused this. And the reason I know I caused this is because we were one of the first apps on Instagram that had an API connection and we paid creators thousands, millions of dollars to stay on Instagram and build their audience because they knew that they could do a photo with us and I'd pay them a hundred grand. They mm -hmm. knew that they knew that if they kept people on with content and we helped build that, we helped build that idea of getting people addicted to their phones inside of Instagram. And I felt like shit. I felt it in my body. I was like, this needs to end. There's a better way to do, there's a better way to do business. And I think what they're, you know, what Tristan is doing with the yeah, center of, of humane design or whatever the name is, is that you can build better businesses with different business models. The advertising business model is broken. It makes money for investors and shareholders, but it's bad for humans. It's bad for people. And we wanted to build a completely different business model. And that's what we did. Like the, the, the customers subsidized the cost of this thing to be alive. 
And my personal capital has contributed to build this thing. Like I decided to take my own money to build this. No one gave us a penny until the app was live. Yeah. And that's like, so the customer is paying for the experience. Right. And like, so that's like a little topic I want to dive into. Like, do you think there's something about like the ability of these micro transactions, like the fact that the customer is paying uh, quite little, they're paying a little bit of sats to do this. You think that is allowing people to make a mental switch? Like, Hey, I, you know what? I am willing to pay for this. It's not, it's pennies, maybe a fraction of a penny. Well, I think the reason that to me is interesting is that they're not just paying, but they can also be paid. Right. Mm -hmm. So the innovation in what lightning provides is omnidirectional payments on the internet currently. And Sphinx obviously was the innovator here is that like it was single directional payments. Only fans was that you follow someone and you pay them to see their videos. But where on the internet can you go to post a photo and random people can pay you for that photo? So what it allows is now the future of social. You can be paid for being on the network. You can be paid for being on that system. You can be paid for being on that utility for the first time. Anyone can pay anyone. You could be a creator. You can be a follower. You can be a contributing follower. We're seeing this whole new generation of saying, well, if I create really good memes, I can make money off that. Right? We saw Fuck Jerry make an amazing business off sharing memes on Instagram. Stealing memes on Instagram. Stealing memes on Instagram. Yeah. Right? Stealing other people's content and putting it up. Yeah. But now what if there's evidence of like, what if we can build a world with that there's provenance to content, mm -hmm. right? So one, one thing that's really interesting is that every piece of media that's sent out on Zion is assigned a media token and every person that sees it is assigned a media token. And now you can build some level of provenance of like who incepted that meme for the first time. I who, think, who, I, think you, I think you need NFTs to do this. I, I don't know. No, I'm I, fucking I, with you. Yeah, I'm I saying you could do it another way. You can do it another way. And this you don't is, need NFTs. Yeah, I don't. And this is the stuff. This that was I, a dig at NFTs, not, oh. not the tokenization. <laughs> you just. Yeah. And I, I think so. But, but I also about the NFT thing. I'm really curious. Is like this, all this other stuff, right? The whatever they called Web3 and crypto world and NFTs. I think it's very interesting what's happening because there's obviously all this money going to that direction. I think the question becomes, how can we take some of the learnings and build that into Bitcoin? How can we take these ideas and put it into our own ecosystem? Because we, we can't ignore that that exists. There's an entire market that's doing these things. How do we now implement that into Bitcoin? And I want to encourage, I want to encourage developers to say, hey, let's try to build these systems and not go build another chain, right? I think I was on a, on a spaces with somebody and they've built some sort of a, I think it's another blockchain on Bitcoin and they're doing NFTs on there. I don't know if that's the right answer, but how do you build that within Bitcoin? How could you build that within Lightning? And how can you, because I think the idea of having provenance ownership of digital content is important for the future of the world. I think in some ways it's important and that the creator should eventually own that value down the chain. The question, how can we build that with Bitcoin? I do as well. Was the, uh, the space is gentleman or lady talking about counterparty which is like the, the merge mind no so that was the original was, nft think, that's for like rare was, i think it was i think the company was called stacks i believe oh yeah and, so and they're I, using um yeah they're using stacks which is i don't know what that is i'm not really familiar i think it's a merge mine they're labeling it as like another second layer but they have their own token which many would deem is unnecessary um a lot of debate on the space frankly i haven't um 
dove too much into it. I mean, it's started by uh, Manib, um, who came, like, it's had a long story. Him and Ryan Shea were working on Namecoin back in the day, and then they created Blockstack, um, and Blockstack has morphed into Stacks, um, and pivoted a, a few times. Um, they've been working on this problem, but yeah, I don't... It is, they have their Stacks token, which I would deem unnecessary and a little bit scammy, if you will, but others argue it but back to the point you're trying to make i think you do it i mean you can tokenize shit on lightning like if you wanted to create nfts on top of lightning on a third layer above that i'm pretty sure you could yeah there's there's a thing i heard about it's called an lsat which is something that's like a lightning sort of token that can be provided for for something and i just think that you know i would love a company or somebody out there to start working on tokenizing LSATs for content. And then we release this idea of a, you know, something like, I don't even want to call it an NFT. It's just a digital object that has provenance that you can own and share down the line. I like, I think that to me is like the programmability of that. I think Bitcoin should have that. And we should like, we should take ideas from these other places and implement them, right? I, I understand why some people are like, fuck this, it's a scam or whatever. That's like the big word, scam, 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 scam. But let's learn from it and build our own versions. That's my encouragement um, uh, in the world. I agree. I agree too. And uh, that's the thing, if you don't... So the I agree as long as these ideas that are coming onto Bitcoin don't um, erode... Uh, the assurances that that make Bitcoin as special as it is, as distributed as it is, as hard as it is, um, uh, bring it to Bitcoin on the stack of Bitcoin, whether it be Lightning stack uh, layers above Lightning, whatever you need to do to bring it to Bitcoin, bring it. And then, if you don't want to use it, you don't have to. If you right. think they're scams and you think people are are getting scammed, like yeah, it's uh, we all want to stop the scammers, but at the end of the day, people make their own decisions. And if you want, if people want to get scammed or if they think it's a good idea, let them go make their own decisions. You don't have to. Yeah. As long as it doesn't perturb the assurances that make Bitcoin Bitcoin, you should be okay with it. Absolutely. And I think, you know, what's interesting to me is also the the future of the world generally is I think people will fall under two categories. They're going to be creators and then they're going to be in some ways investors and they're going to become... You know, I think what we'll see in the next 10 years is this idea of being like a professional consumer of content (laughs) where you can go and gather all these interesting things that are happening in the world, share your own versions of them from your favorite creators. And then people are now paying you for you being that consumer of content curator, a curator per se, right? We're we're seeing it right now on Spotify where you can create your own Spotify playlist and then people get tips for their Spotify playlist, like a thing. They're a curator now on that system. I think that's going to happen within this environment as well. And the question is, how do you create some sort of like a um, a way that the, the original creator also gets credit for it? We figured it out inside of communities because that's why you have a price per message or you have a price per share. Or you have a price for that. Like always goes through that creator, through that MQTT broker we discussed. But how does that happen outside of that network within a network? Problems to be solved, freaks. How do we how do we figure that out, right? Well, the interoperability you're describing, that's another thing I actually wanted to bring back up, like being able to message between Sphinx and, and Zion. Like that is actually, that was like a theme of some of the conversations on Twitter that I was observing over the weekend was like the amount of chat apps that people have to go into. 
it's it's too many. Like your pub key should be universal, and you should be able to message anyone across that. Like why not? Right. Why not? Like why why do we have to build another walled garden? It does to me. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense. Like build it on lightning, and then use it as a layer to get into other things. Because what's really interesting to me, and this is where the abstract has to lie, is that a lightning node is many things. It becomes your own personal computer. It becomes your wallet. It becomes your credit card. It becomes your identity. It, be, it can become all of these different things. And you could, by the way, you could choose to also be pseudonymous in it. You don't have to be whoever you are. You don't have to actually match an identity to that particular pub key. You could have multiple identities. You could have multiple nodes running. You can have multiple, you could be anyone you want on the internet. You can be a pseudonymous lightning node onto the network, or you can choose and say, Oh, I'm going to verify this note. Mm -hmm. I want to have a verified account within this ecosystem. But the point is it needs to be an interoperable network. And I think what, I don't think people really are, are looking at this, like just where has this ever happened in the world where you have two companies, separate businesses, separate investors, separate cap tables, where they can message each other across that. To me, like no one's talking about that. And I think it's a brilliant innovation and it's the idea. And I got to give Paul credit on this. I have to give him deep credit. It's like, that was the thing that we did together in my house in Austin. He said, what if these two apps can talk to each other and they're completely different code bases? That would be awesome. And we did that. It's fucking insane. It, to me, it's really cool. Shout out to Paul Toy. Shout out to Paul. Legend. Shout out to Sphinx. Legend. Damn. I mean, yeah, that's like, that's why having been able to get to know you over the last six months, and I, I've, I've obviously seen the attacks lobbed at you and Zion. Uh, are you Illuminati? I have to ask that question. That's, that's been lobbed at you as well. I don't even know what that is. Like, what is what <laughs> that's, that's, somebody no, in the Illuminati would no, say, okay. No, no I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm a guy that was born in LA. Like, is it because of the name? I think people are like Zion. It's an owl. It's an Illuminati sign. It's, oh wow! Uh, yeah. yeah, it's. I mean, no. The the name straight come, came from the Matrix, and I think really good timely name, by the way. Yeah, I do as well. Like, like timely, pretty timely on the name. By the way, I found out my wife has never watched the Matrix over the weekend. I was pretty pretty disappointed in her. Come on, I know. It's. Uh, you need to watch all three. I know. I know. They're making another, aren't they? They have a fourth coming out very yeah. soon. Yeah. I'm not sure. I feel about it. Yeah, I don't know the uh, Wachowski sisters or Wachowski sisters are. Uh, I think they're trying to make a political statement with the fourth one. Really? And not that the first three weren't political. So I think they've shifted their political views. Do you think it's a documentary more than a movie? I do. I do. I mean, that's what freaks me out about the metaverse, right? Like we're going to fucking, if you get too far into the goggle pod world, you're going to fucking wake up in a vat of cooling liquid, uh, the fucking machines taking your life force and using it as electricity. I mean, and I think that's what we have to, I, I think as a society, we yeah, It's not a documentary. It's a portrayal of what could happen if we keep going down the same path. Sure. And, but I, but I think we also sometimes forget the power of our life force energy. It's a very powerful thing. What we have, like what we can do as humans and what we can manifest into the real world. If we put our mind to it, like the true power of what we have in manifestation and to create the world that we have it's, it's a brilliant thing. And if we all have collective mindsets, if we all have collective mindsets that have like a core goal and saying, this is where we all want to go together and we all believe it, we can create whatever world that we want. And I think what we've, what we've, the mistake we've made in some ways as society is we've allowed the power of an individual and a vision of an individual to take control of an entire generation. And I think that's very dangerous. 
I think like the vision of, you know, the vision that Mark Zuckerberg wants to bring to the world should not be the way the world should work. We have to like, we have to resist it and on, on all attempts possible. Like he's just look the, at the video of that launch. Is that somebody you want controlling the world? It's freaky, man. Right. It's it like, it makes he, me really nervous. He doesn't seem human. I think he is. I think he's, I think he's a great guy, I think, but I think generally <laughs> we can't rely on this to be the way that we should communicate in the world. No, we can't, we can't rely on it because it, it, it'll, it, it has removed our agency. One thing I talk about to creators all the time, and JP is a perfect example of this. JP has so much more to say. He has so much more to say and bring to the world. And he is on the edges of being turned off at every single moment. But because he's a comedian, he can almost get away with it. But he's on the fringes. He's always on the fringes of being canceled. And to me, that's dangerous because less speech is not good for the world. It's more speech. And then it's to disseminate what you believe in agency. Like, I think what, what we're trying to do in this overarching perspective is to humanize the digital experience. Because right now, me and you can have a conversation in real life. Mm -hmm. I could tell you some wacky shit. And then your brain decides if it wants to agree with my wacky shit or not and my belief. The internet doesn't work like that. You have a central algorithm that decides, like, you know what? Can't share that. You can't tell that to him. He can't listen yeah. to that. You can't, you can't hear that. Let people have agency. Let people decide for themselves what they want to believe and what they, what they don't want to believe. And let them have the ability to say, you know what? I don't know if I agree with that statement at all. Yeah, exactly. Let, let the best ideas win the day. Let uh, meritocracy bloom, please. It's, it's weird, though. The people... Most people want the censorship. They want to be told what to believe. And, and, and the reason is, and I think this is, the, this is the big distinction, is that most individuals were born in the centralized century. So I like to compare like the centralized century versus the decentralized century. The, central, the centralized century was the 20th century. It began with FDR and these three-letter agencies. Remember, like these three-letter agencies were designed to regulate very large companies. The FDA was designed to to use Merck to 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 regulate Merck and Pfizer. They weren't designed to regulate a bunch of individuals having their own collective thought. They weren't like the um, F FAA was designed to regulate Boeing, not thousands of drone operators around the world. Mm -hmm. So they were all built in this centralized century, the idea of unions built in a centralized century. And then you have the transistor beginning in the 1950s and the 1960s. And then you have the decentralized century that arguably starts in 2010. Every one of these companies that are regulating control were born in the centralized century. And the individuals that control them were born in the 60s and 70s in the centralized century. We are now just at the beginning of this decentralized century. And what we're seeing is this fighting of two generations. The future is decentralized, no matter what you say. And you have to build systems that create that decentralized element. We have to have freedom and sovereignty. And we have to fight the centralized system because it's the only way we're going to lose you know, and have our agency back and not have all this control telling us what to do and where to do and build all these fear mechanisms. Even the mainstream media, it's all centralized authorities. And arbiters of truth are basically run by family offices. Fact checkers. They're run like the, the most ridiculous thing to me is that like the New York Times is supposed to be this truth of record in the world. Who runs it? It's a family office. It's a family. I don't know the name. Schlossberg, Schlossberg. It's a family office that owns this newspaper. Mm -hmm. Why have why are they the arbiter of truth? Oh, because they're the New York Times. 
They have been for a century. They, but they're you wrong. You just have to accept and I, that. And I, and I, and I don't. I, I don't want to accept that. I, I just don't. And I, I think that, but again, the point The point I'm trying to make is that we're fighting this I know. centralized century into the new decentralized world. Yeah. And we have to push it. And that's like, this is where I become very white-pilled. Like, it's inevitable. It's happening. Like, that's the other part. Like, we're born at this inflection point. And there's just going to be a lot of tumult, a lot of volatility as you have, like, the Luddite like incumbent trying to like grasp onto what they know is dear and true. And it's just like, it's, it's not going to work that way. Like Bitcoin's going to win out. The decentralized internet's going to win out. It's not going to win out without people fighting for it. And that's why I'm very happy to have this podcast. Cause I able to talk to so many people fighting for it, like yourself and, and actually building it out. And it gives me a lot of confidence that we're going to win um, with, that confidence you also have to know that like nobody should get complacent like you said everybody has agency the power of manifestation is real it's actually another thing that alex leishman and i talked about and you freaks if you've listened to it already will uh know what i'm about to say which is like if not me then who like an idea people don't understand how strong ideas are you can keep them in your head and be like i don't know i don't know if i should put this out there why me like why would it why would anybody listen to me like put it out there like Put your ideas out there. Try to make things happen. I think you'd be surprised at the power of your ideas if you share them and you work on them and you iterate and you build and you keep get keep getting the the message out there. What death? What the idea of death taught me is you have to take risks and you only have one up at bat. If you have a if you have any agency of an idea, try to bring it to the world or share it with somebody that might be able to change the world for you. Ideas change the world, and then people on the back of them do the rest. And people want to do things. We're, we're at a time where we have the capability to do anything that we want. You know, I was very lucky to start a company when I was young and, and do what I was doing, but I took a massive risk because I could have lost everything. And what's interesting to me is that this new generation of Bitcoiners, they're actually taking a ton of risk because they're basically, they're their own version of an entrepreneur. They're, they're betting on Bitcoin to be the thing that wins. They're betting on themselves and they're betting on this overarching category. Now we have to bring that to the mainstream and to regular people. We have to invite them in a gentle way and we have to build products that they can understand. And we can't tell someone to jump from, okay, a fully centralized, this kind of authoritarian platform to a fully decentralized pay with Bitcoin, do all these other things. Like there's a little bit of a bridge, right? There's a little, that's yeah. why like, we made it a decision to do it the way we did because we needed to bring regular people on this and then eventually a little bit lower, a little bit different, a little bit different over time. But we have to bridge the gap. We can't tell everyone that they're stupid and they don't understand what we're saying. We have to be gentle. We have to be like very nice. Let's be nice humans to each other. Like I think the thing about Twitter that I noticed and because I did get, you know, this, that I got a little bit of backlash is like, it's like, there's not another human on the other side that has, that's made of skin. That's like, has emotions. I have feelings. I have like, I, I'm made of the same thing you are. Like I love and I, and I, and I hurt and I cry and I like all these things happen to me as a human. And remember that when you're saying something really potentially mean and hurtful to somebody on the other end, like that's a human being that had a mother that had a father at some point that maybe as a child is it is a daughter maybe is a son like yeah yeah i mean i co-sign that message as well as somebody who's been mean on the internet too it's easy it's easy to be mean it is and it, it, it's like you can get a bunch of followers for it be like fuck yeah yeah fuck that person like yeah like take them down this is bullshit mm -hmm. like it's 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 a thing that can get you audience but it's not good for the world 
Like when you look into someone's eyes, you realize like this is this is why I love these types of podcast experiences because you get to dive deep and like share like the, you know we're 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 in this we're in this experiment together, yeah. And we're all in it together, right? Well, like like what did, what does the back of the coin say? It's like we're in this together. Yeah, right? it's a version of that. Like you know, sympathia. Like reflect on the fact that we are in this all together. We're not individuals. We're we're microcosms inside of this organism that is this planet. Well, that's just like incepted a, a thought in my brain that like really highlights what we're up against. Like we're all in this together and the, the centralized economy that you were describing earlier, it doesn't want that. Right. So it's actively fighting to divide us using manipulation and, and weird things. They know if we truly get to a world built on decentralized tools and information spread and monetary value spread, like it's game over for that, that centralized century. Of course it is. And, it, and, and they, they, they already know it's kind of dead for them. And this is their last grip on hope, right? They, you know, whatever your opinion is on the coronavirus, there is a level of control they have tried to achieve that people have no agency to decide what they can do and what they can't do, where they can go, how they can go. We're seeing this in Australia right now. You cannot leave your house. You can't like, like have some agency for people. Let them live. Let them like be a human being for like, like we are humans and we, we are social creatures. I think the worst thing about this pandemic is that it took away people from being social creatures. And like, the, like there's something about hugging another person and holding them. Like I, 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 usually greet, I usually greet all of my friends with like a hug. I really do. That's just me. That's my personality. And there was a time where like I talked to people recently. They're like, I haven't hugged a human in a year. Yeah, that's dangerous up. that's not good that's not good no i mean and then like so like this is where like marty jones conspiracy theory uncle marty comes out like the mask on children madness the social distancing madness. like the fucking plastic plexiglass at a bar it's like it's like they're actively trying to demoralize and with the kids especially it's very fucked up where it's like number one you can look at the data the statistics on the cdc they are not at risk uh, any more so than they would be with the flu, actually probably less so than the flu and a, a number of other causes. And yet you're like forcing them to wear masks during these formative years when they literally need to be able to learn how to read body language and inflection and, and understand emotions that are driven by facial expressions. And they're trying to take that away from children. It's fucking like this is that like that one example leads me to believe that there's malice behind some of these actions and it's not just incompetence. I agree. And I think what we've also found is that, you know, there is a narrative that now all the centralized authorities have to follow. There's guidelines that we have to follow through a central authority brought to you by Pfizer. Exactly. And we have to follow these rules based upon what they say. And again, it's because everything comes back to the business models. Everything is predicated on these advertising focused business models that these like, you know, the people that pay these bills of these large tech companies usually are advertisers. They build amazing businesses on advertising. And then the second thing is that we've kind of, I, I do believe that there's elements of this pandemic idea a lot. Like this is again, my little version of what I believe is that, you know, yes, this was a real virus, but the steps that we've taken haven't changed based upon the science changing. You know, the things that we thought were going to happen didn't actually happen. The number of people that died didn't actually like happen. And the children thing, I think, fucks me up a lot. Like there's a school a block from my house that I run by and the kids are outside and they all have to wear masks 
And then the teachers are sitting five feet away with no masks on. Yeah. It's fucking it's, absurd. I'm just like sitting there. And if I'm a parent, I'm not a parent at this point. I would be so angry at that. I would be so just like, why am I muzzling my child for something that they will not get hurt over? Right? I've had COVID. It was terrible. But I feel stronger as a result of doing that. Because I know in my body, because I've been through fucked up shit in my life. I've done, I've done hard things in my life. I know that the back of a very difficult situation is a stronger individual. It's a stronger Justin. We, our society is getting so weak in so many ways because we fear <laughs> difficulty. We fear challenge. We fear hardship. We don't want to work out. Like we don't, we want to sit on a couch. We want everything to come to us because we want everything not to be difficult. No, if you're, if you're like tired, go for a fucking run. If you're feeling uncomfortable, that means your body is growing. Hematic stresses matter. Yeah, people want to let the world dissolve into a ready player one uh, physical world. And they I don't, don't want to go fix the broken things. I don't want to be around people like that. I don't want to be around unhealthy. I don't want to be around like these extremely like we're, I think this whole thing also we forgot is that there's so many comorbidities. We are the fattest country ever. <laughs> right. You can argue that was intentional as well. Right. Like, um, yeah, and, and but people have agency for what they put in their mouth. Mm-hmm. that's something you decide. You decide how much Coca-Cola you want to drink. You decide how much bread that you want to put. You decide how much sugar you want to put in your body. You decide to be fat or not to be fat. I don't care anyone that says like, oh, I didn't choose to be fat. Yes, you did. You ate too much fucking shit. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Stop it. And hey, somebody who's been fat before too. I wasn't 240. I was 220. But yeah, it, I, it's personal decisions. All right. I'm not going to eat shit anymore. I'm not going to drink soda. I'm going to drink less alcohol. I'm going to go work out more. I know what it is because I was fat. I know I ate two sandwiches for lunch. I, I, I drank alcohol all the time. I've been sober for two and a half years. I, did, I know why I was big. But then I knew that if I made some lifestyle changes, I would feel better in my body and I would be a better citizen for it. I would be a better contributor to society. There's all these elements that I think as a, as a society, we've been brainwashed in all these different ways. And it comes back to those models. Like I was, when I ran my company, um, we had a, we had a very large, we had, McDonald's was our client and, um, also Unilever was our client and we started selling butter and we had to start selling butter to kids, moms with kids. That was the target. I was like, what is in this stuff? And they started describing like canola oil. And I, like, I knew at that time, cause I was friends with people that were like in the health and wellness space, like how bad this stuff was for humans. And I said, I'm not fucking doing this anymore. I'm done. I don't, I don't want these people's money. I ended up getting kicked out of the company for, for doing that. And eventually kind of, that's a whole story in itself, (laughs) but I don't want stuff like that to exist anymore. I think these products are are bad for society. And so I, I, I digress, but all of these things we need to take care of. And I think these are all like the overarching, like human of like, how do we cultivate our life force energy in a better way? And I think the beginning of it is how do we communicate better on the internet? Yeah. And Bitcoin does fix this to an extent, right? You're incentivized to produce good shit, right? If you're, I think so. That's another thing. Like, do you have you noticed? Uh, do you guys have? Well, you can't tell unless you're inside of uh, a group. But like, just observationally, what is the conversation like? Is it mainly positive, neutral, negative? I I think what we've been able to attract is that people that believe in sovereignty, and for some reason the people in the health and wellness space 
really are focused on sovereignty. Yeah. Well, it's very strange. They're being attacked. It's very strange that like people that have like, you know, podcasts that are talking about metabolic health are the ones that are being shut down. The people that are saying there's natural ways to, to, to increase your immunity get turned off on Instagram. Mm -hmm. It's very, to me, it's very fascinating that that's like the category. So I think what we've been able to cultivate is these communities that are really focused on health and wellness. Right, JP talks about health and wellness. He's a fit guy. So he's a pretty jacked. Dude. Pretty jacked dude. Yeah. He's a pretty jacked dude. So I think like even like, you know, one of the like the fourth or fifth largest communities is like homeopathic health. And like, you know, cuz they these groups are being banned on traditional social media. Like I'm kind of going through like what are like like one of the communities, holistic and intuitive healing education community, healing with homeopathy. Interesting Australian freedom movement. Yeah, you're not. Breastfeeding support group. <laughs> Intermittent fasting by Dr. Letty. Twitter activists. Cannabis. Twitter deep, activists. Deep breathers. Chiropractic. So that's mainly health. I mean, it's, it's mostly health and wellness, but I think that's also JP's audience is kind yeah. of in that. In that realm. Yeah. All right. So what's next for Zion? Continuing to scale, mm -hmm. continuing to build the infrastructure that we can build thousands of people, uh, thousands, like the ability to have thousands of people using the network and just, I want to convert our wait list by the end of the year. If we can get to 10 to 11,000 customers by the end of the year, like that to me would be an amazing accomplishment. Hell yeah. And, and, and I just want to continue to contribute to this community. And I, I truly don't know what more I can do. I like, I'm, I'm always trying to like, that's why this is kind of me coming on this podcast. Cause this is my first real like Bitcoin focused podcast is like, I, I don't know everything that I need to do. Cause I'm fairly new to the Bitcoin space. I would say I'm a year into this stuff. So I also would like, I would like to invite people to tell me, Hey, Justin, these are the things that you should do to be a better Bitcoin CEO and a better contributor to the community and be a better whatever to the community. I, I want to know that. And so I think converting this wait list of 11,000 people onto the app and then building out really in interesting features. We just brought in an interim CTO that's rebuilding the entire architecture of what the app looks like. So I'm really excited for that look and feel to be released on January 1st. Hell yeah. Hard deadline. You just set a hard deadline for yourself. Release date January 1st. Yeah. The, the new UI, we get it on Monday and then we start engineering for the next two months to build it. All right. I have deadline. You just, put, like, you just put your pressure on your engineering team. So I, I mean, pressure creates diamonds, baby. Uh, yeah, it does. Yes, it does. Um, one last thing I forgot to touch on, but like I know, but I, I'd like you to describe it to people. It's like the node architecture. Somebody buys um, space in Zion. They get on. You open up. You get them access to a node and channels. How does that work? Yeah. So basically. Um, Inside of our architecture, so we have like, we're calling this like our cloud hosted infrastructure. There's a thing called the hub. Inside of the hub, what happens is that we, we've built a custom API with Voltage. Voltage provisions us the virtual machine. Then it comes to our side. We install our relay software onto the relay machine. And think about this node has two databases. It has the LND database, and then it has the relay database. And in the relay database is that all the information of your messages, who you're connected to and all that. And then LND is just LND, peers, channels, all that stuff. Then we create a channel between one of our root nodes and the leaf node itself. Currently, we have four root nodes. 
that are attached to each other. So you have every node has 500 channels that are hooked up, which is 500 customers. So as we expand, we have every, we'll have one more root node. And then how the topology works is that because the root nodes are connected to each other, basically with one channel, you're effectively integrated into 18,000 lightning nodes which okay. is one channel because our root nodes are connected to all the major routing hubs inside of LND. So the way the topology looks like is we have root nodes and we have leaf nodes. Mm -hmm. And I like to compare it to like a forest, right? Like the mycelium network underneath the ground, like lightning is like this mycelium network where you might be an individual leaf on this corner of a tree. And then you want to send a nutrient to this other tree and it's being done through the mycelium network under the ground. But mm -hmm. voltage does all of our node provisioning for us. And I think, over time, we want to be able to expand that architecture, but Graham's team is incredible. Like we could definitely have not have done this at this scale this quickly without Graham. And he is truly a genius. I think what he's providing is an incredible value to the, to the network because he's providing a tool that allows companies like us to exist and it would not be possible without Graham. No, Graham and the voltage team are fucking killers out there. He's we need to catch up, Graham, if you're listening. He was on this podcast over a year ago now at this point, I believe. Um, and uh, they to see how far Voltage has come since that conversation we had, I think it was like right after they first launched, is pretty incredible. I mean, they're the go-to for, for companies like Zion and, and other people building actual apps on the Lightning Network. Absolutely, and I think like you'll see them expand to such an incredible <coughs> way. And you need companies like that because we're still not at this extreme decentralization where everyone's running a home node. We're not mm -hmm. there yet because most people don't, don't know, like don't know how to do that. And I think there's also really important value. Now you talked about node architecture. There's a lot of value with having a cloud infrastructure as well, because what you get is that you get 24 hour uptime. Yeah. You get channel redundancies, you get backups, you get all of these, you have like all of these things that people don't realize that in order to route a payment on the lightning network, the node has to be on yeah. and have an active channel and have active liquidity. That stuff needs to be managed by a company. We have a person that just does liquidity management for our over 1700 nodes. That's a job of a human. And what you have to do is like, if you're running your own home node, you have to manage all that yourself. Yeah. And most people don't want to do that. No. And what you do hope is just like that this incentivizes the creation of more competitive server uh, landscape, if you yeah. will. Like it's not just AWS, Google, and the few other providers out there, which we've already seen. Like the Noddle team, I know they're getting their own um, data servers center. up and running. We have Wiz, who's got his own data centers, and these are a couple examples, but I, I do think the incentives will be strong. Um, obviously you want to eliminate third parties. So I'm, oh, I wouldn't be, wouldn't be surprised if voltage is already thinking like, all right, like how do we, how do we lock down our own server space? Yeah. I mean, I, I know we're, we are working. So one of our investors owns a data center and, and we are working to actually move some of our services to our own data center. And we want to help that. We want to help that process move over. And yeah. like we, we shouldn't rely on these other companies, but also realize it's very hard. Like this stuff is like very hard and we're very early days, yeah. right? And like we're very early days. But the point of all of it is that we can change over time, right? I think that's like the important aspect of like, I have decided to make certain technical decisions that will impact me in five years. Whereas like if you look at some of these other decentralized networks, they can never do what we do. Right. Let's compare it to like the BitClouts or whatever these other like decentralized <laughs> networks. Like they can never 
do things that we're doing because they made decisions early on to centralize things mm -hmm. that could bring on users very quickly. We've made a technical decision that makes it very hard to bring on new customers. It's very hard. Like we're asking people to pay to join our social network. That's crazy. Who's done that? A lot of people don't do that. Yeah. But that technical decision in the long term will pay off for us. Mm -hmm. It will pay off, I think, overall. Well, it's twofold, right? You, you allow yourself and you set yourself up to be nimble as a company and, and give yourself the ability to work the architecture of your company the way you want. And then also you give the users the ability to decide, all right, do I want to plug my own node to this or do I want to use a cloud node? And you have that optionality if you want. Give them the option. Yeah. Imagine Facebook, but you could leave. Yeah. That to me is the, the innovation in this whole thing is like, imagine Facebook, but you can leave and you can take everybody with you and every relationship with you. You can't just leave Twitter right now and take every follower. You can't, they own it. I know. It's their network. I know. It's uh it is a scary thought, right? And like the inter again, the interoperability between these apps that are happening on the uh on the Lightning network is very very bullish for uh content distribution that is uncensorable in the future. Yeah. And I think one more thing I'm really excited about nodes and this comes out in DOF 14 as well is the ability to share a node in a non-custodial manner where mm -hmm. like I'm calling it like the Netflix model. Mm -hmm. Whereas like yeah. you can actually like, you know, you share your Netflix account, not with everyone you share it with like your family, right? Or you're like closest friends. We, we have a Netflix squatter. This is a girl or gentleman named Carrie. We don't know who she is. She's squatting on her Netflix account. We don't know how to get her off. But um, change, hey, can, Carrie, you change, can you change the password? Potentially Carrie, if you're listening, you know, we don't mind that you're squatting. I hope you're enjoying What's it. What's Carrie watching? I don't know. We haven't clicked on our profile yet. <laughs> you got to click on the profile. You got to see the weird stuff that <laughs> Carrie's watching. But the, like, I think that like this, I'm really excited about this innovation where like you're running your own full node. You have a channel with a certain amount of capacity. You can add an account to someone to join your node and give them a certain amount of capacity. That's coming. It's coming soon. Like it's something that LND has shown us that they are building for us to use in subcapacity. I'm really, Gentry showed it to me. I'm excited about it. Hell yeah. Now he's got to just execute and show us how to build it. So like, imagine you're inside the Zion app, add a friend, you choose the amount of sats they can use in your channel capacity, and then they could join the network. So it's an easier onboarding process for them. They're like, oh, I don't, I don't want to pay to get on this. Like, here, I'll pay for you here. Exactly. Um, like, cause there's, cause I know within groups of friends, there's people that are like these innovators. So they'll maybe invite five to 10 of their closest friends and be like, dude, you could join this, this cool, really cool app. That's like, not a lot of people are in, but you can join my note. I'll let you get into my note. Cause I know you and cause you're going to spend their Bitcoin yeah. and you're using their channel capacity. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> where can we find out more about Zion, more about you? Where, where should we send the freaks? Well, our website is getzion.com. Mm -hmm. Somehow we got that domain, which is really cool. Um, our guide is there. Our GitHub is github.com slash getzion. And then I'm on social as my full name, Justin Rezvani. Justin, J-U-S-T-I-N-R-E-Z-V-A-N-I. -I. I'm not, I'm somewhat active, I guess. I'm somewhat active on Twitter a little bit. I'll share some things here and there. And then my Instagram, like private, but yeah. you know, I share things when I can. Yeah, well... Thank you for sharing. Ah, there was one other thing I wanted to get into. You, uh, if you have, like, we have time. This is this is. I'm afternoon with you, so. So you're 
first generation American parents are from Iran. Why did they move to the United States? Right before the revolution, my dad was in the military and he knew there was something coming. He was in the military right before the Shah was, was taken out. He came here when he was 18. My mom came here when she was 13. So she went to high school in New York. My parents met in New York and they came for opportunity. My dad came with nothing. His first job was at a KFC, I think making $2 an hour. And I mean, I feel just like that story in itself is just amazing where like one generation you can create, you know, your child with love. I give my parents, my parents are what I credit everything to. Mm -hmm. Like I am only here because of the love of my family. And if my parents didn't love me growing up, I don't think I would be as successful as I am today. And so I give them so much credit for doing that. So they left because of the revolution. They left because of the instability of what was happening. And America, no matter what you say about this place, is the only place in the world where in one generation you can have your child create generational wealth for many generations (laughs) to come because of the opportunity that you can have. I would have never built this life in Iran or any other country for that fact because there's restrictions to do that. And this free economy allows for that. And I, God bless America. Yeah. Co-sign that. And with that being said, like, do your parents understand the value prop of Bitcoin? They do now. Yeah. Like they do now, now that I'm like, I'm kind of the, like in my family, I've always been like the kind of bleeding edge of weird stuff. Like when I built the influencer thing, I introduced Instagram and said, Hey, there's these people you can follow and then they can post content and they reach millions of people. And they're like, wow, that's amazing. And then when I explain key send to my dad, and cause he's on Zion and he'll message me on the app and he's like, wait, there's no one in the middle and it's a payment and it goes peer to peer. He's like, wow, that's going to be a really big deal. So, <laughs> so my parents understand it a little bit. My dad has Bitcoin, but he's 70. Like he's like, you know, his, he's of a different generation. So yeah. he supports it because I'm involved in it. And I, uh, I think they understand a little bit of it, but they're, they're not, they don't have to, they're, they're at the, the end. So for them, it's just like the, you know, it's transition time. Yeah. Well, it's a beautiful story. Very happy that your parents moved to the America, to the America, to America, um, gave you the opportunity to turn into the gentleman that you are today. Justin, it's been a goddamn pleasure, sir. It's an honor. Thank you, Marty. This was fun. Appreciate your time. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for the gifts. I'm looking at my bullets right now in my, in my medallion. Let's, uh, let's go for, uh, let's go to the range soon. Yes, we need to. We're going to go talk about when we're going to the range. Peace and love, freaks. Dickie!